Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Ethereum is built by code, but it's composed by people, and each individual member of the Ethereum community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it, and Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code, because Ethereum is people all the way down, and it always has been. Today, I'm talking with Nick Carter, who I don't necessarily think identifies as part of the Ethereum community, but I think he has impacted it all the same. Uh, Nick Carter is a prolific writer and also content producer and just general Bitcoiner in the Bitcoin space. Uh, he works at his fund, uh, Castle Island Ventures, and also has a podcast, which I listen to uh, the weekly roll-up every single week. Was, it was actually the inspiration for the Bankless weekly roll-up. Uh, the, they call it the weekly roundup. Um, and some of uh, Nick's writing and just uh, overall content and conversations has deeply impacted uh, the way I've think uh, thought about this this uh, industry. Uh, it's, it's thanks to Nick that I began to understand uh, crypto and blockchains as political revolutions rather than just technological ones. Uh, and in this show, we we actually go and go back even further into the organizational structures of history and talk actually a lot about religion and the comparisons and, and uh, comparing and contrasting uh, Bitcoin as a religion and you know a blockchain as an omnipotent, omnipresent God. And also talk about the, the differences between uh, the Bitcoin culture and, and Ethereum culture. And I ask uh, if Nick thought that the Bitcoin community generally is a more faith-based one, as in like they te uh, tend to go to church more than other uh, crypto communities out there. And Nick agreed with that point. And so we collectively, him and I, uh, parsed that apart and made some jokes. And then I also asked Nick about, um, you know, what else What else does he do? He, he mountaineers, apparently, uh, you know, and also spends a lot of time in, in deep thought mode while writing. And overall, it was just a, a lovely conversation with my friend Nick Carter. So let's go ahead and get right into that conversation. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your dApps all in one place. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum, and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and make an overall better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to the Arbitrum Layer 2. To keep up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. Hey, Nick. What's up? How's it going, man? Pretty good. This, How about this yourself? Is, uh, I'm doing good, man. I, I, I just moved. I, it's, been, it's been a lot, but I, I fished out the cables and we've, we're at the audio, the video, we're mm -hmm. all set up. Am I the first person to get a peek into your new abode? 
You actually, yes, I believe so. Yeah. So this is the first uh, piece of video content I'm doing from my new place. So there we go. What, uh, what inspired the move? Why'd you move? Well, a number of factors, um, but Miami is kind of a, a good center for... Oh, you moved to Miami. Yeah, I'm in Miami. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's a good just it's a good zone for crypto people. Mm-hmm. There's a burgeoning community here. Uh the Northeast uh seemed kind of stale, frankly. Um, and you know, heavily sort of locked down and things like that. Um and Miami's just a, you know, it's like a more happening place. Um, although it's very hot here right now. So there's you know, there's downsides as well. Yeah, I lived in um, Boca Raton for like almost three months right before COVID hit. And like my, Boca Raton, anywhere outside of Miami is not at all like Miami. Miami is its own thing. Right. But like Florida felt like there were there were costs to living in Florida. Like the the Seattle rain that I'm used to is not the Florida rain that you experience down there. Yeah, there is absolutely torrential rain actually about an hour ago i kind of mm-hmm. just got stuck on the highway no one could really drive um i mean i guess you know new york just had like incredible amounts of rain so that's not just a uh, you know a florida thing but yeah I, to answer your question i mean we operate remotely now mm-hmm. uh as a consequence of covid uh and so i could operate out of anywhere and uh, i spent four years in boston i figured okay you know um try new city uh, not to mention, you know, crypto has a very heavy Latin American sort of influence. Um, you know, some of the highest penetration rates in the world uh, for crypto are in LATAM. Mm-hmm. And if you run a LATAM business, you most likely have a Miami HQ or a Miami office. Uh, and so this is another way of getting uh, sort of in touch uh, with that sort of genre of entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I kind of had the same exact path, for, except on the West Coast, where like COVID happened. After, as soon as COVID happened, I wanted to get out of Seattle because I lived in Seattle all my life. So as, as soon as I was ready, I was like, well, I'm going to go do exactly uh, everything I'm doing. And I moved down to San Diego. So like, we, we both like had our upper corners moving down to the lower corners, the opposite sides of America. That's kind of funny. Exactly. I have some catching up to do on the plant front, though. Yeah, you do. For I, sure. I Flo- Florida is a fantastic place to, to have plants. I know. I know. I brought some of them down. They were very much neglected and kind of starved of sunlight. Mm. So I'm hoping, you know, they're <laughs> thing we restored. Are you, how are you, you going to deal with the heat? Are you, are you ready to, to handle that head on? Uh, it's been fine, honestly. I mean, people here just scurry from AC to AC, so they mm. don't spend too much time outside. Uh, the humidity is what, uh, as they say, is what gets you. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm like completely fine with it. I mean, yeah, yeah. you get sweaty, but, uh, you know, whatever. That's the cost of doing business down here. Mm-hmm. What, what about the uh, the East Coast resonates with you? You, you seem like an East Coaster. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what that know. means, but, <laughs> but you seem like one. So Miami is exactly 1,500 miles south mm-hmm. uh, by road from Boston. So it, precisely 1,500 miles Uh, So, yes, I did want to stay on the East Coast. You know, my family's here on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was I was going to Miami's like not that far from, you know, D.C. where like, you know, a lot of my family and friends are. So, you know, I I figured I would stay on the coast, but just go to the most tropical part. (laughs) That's funny. Um, So the the first question I ever gave to you in a podcast was, what's your deal? And then uh, the first question that Ryan ever gave to you in a podcast was, are you an Ethereum? Uh, and so I kind of want to get an update on both of those things. Uh, so I, th- I think when I asked you what your deal was, it was like roughly like two years ago. So like, how would you update your answer to your question, what your deal is? What's your deal as of now? <laughs> I don't remember what I said back then. What did I say? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it's, whatever you said, it actually like triggered uh, for me a complete like reconceptual, reconceptualization as to what like crypto is, and started to get my mind thinking of crypto as like a political movement more than a technology one. And so you said that like Bitcoin, um, it just instantiates a lot of values that you have, uh, like uh. Uh, the unprintability of money, strong property rights. Um, and a few things of, the, of this nature. That's deeply insightful. Uh, d- uh, <laughs> d- 
two years ago, me was a genius. I don't know about <laughs> I don't know about present day me. I think I've lost some brain cells in that time, but uh, that's still my deal. Actually, that's mm-hmm. that's that's uh, that's that sounds quite insightful. I mean, um, just recently, I was thinking about how we keep mistaking technical decisions uh, or, or what are actually political decisions for technical decisions. Um, I, I'm sure we'll get into this, but EIP one five five nine, I think, is a great example of that. Actually, um, but yes, I think that's still my deal. Um, you know, trying to peek through the sort of opacity and the veils of decentralization, and and get to the fundamental, you know, nature of these systems, mm-hmm. um, and you know, kind of like resident enthusiast to all skeptic, uh, all bundled into one. Um, so I think that's still my deal. I, maybe I'm more open-minded than I was two years ago. So, um, when, uh, the, the intro to the show is uh, talking to, uh, all the people that compose the Ethereum community. And when I, uh, pitched you coming onto the show, you were like, I'm not sure I count myself to be a part of the Ethereum community. Could you elaborate on that point? Well, I guess it's like you know the same way like a theater production like do you count the guy in the audience who's like heckling the performers as like part of the production like i guess (laughs) (laughs) so so like you can hear them from the Mm -hmm. stage so that's me like you know i'm like sort of adjacent Mm -hmm. uh like occasionally you know like making uh, like annoying noises um but you know i'm i'm not like an Ethereum, uh, mm-hmm. per se, but some Ethereans, uh, you know, tolerate me. So that's good of them. Uh, <laughs> and some, some just write me off as like a hopeless maxi, which I'm not to be clear, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, so that's, you know, I'm on the sidelines. Do, would you, do you have resistance to being considered part of the Ethereum community? Would you decline that label if you were given it by someone? Well, an outsider, I mean, that's certainly like in terms of the Venom diagram of the things that I am, like no one would say I'm primarily an Ethereum, but um, I've certainly used Ethereum much more than sort of the average global citizen. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also have invested in many companies that, you know, build on Ethereum and things like that. So Mm -hmm. maybe I'm just being too uh, pedantic about the distinctions here. Uh, You know, maybe, maybe you could allege me to be an Ethereum. Who knows? Well, I think that when we talk about like the layer zero, if we really want to uh, zoom out, the layer zero goes all the way back to the cypherpunks, really. Like they are the layer zero of the layer zero. I kind of think everything, um, Hazu said that like uh, crypto culture is downstream of like uh, of Bitcoin culture because Bitcoin started this thing in the first place. But I actually think Bitcoin culture and Bitcoin itself is actually downstream of the cypherpunks naturally, right? Like it came out of the cypherpunks. Uh, so everything is kind of downstream of the cypherpunks. Uh, and so, and I, I think one of the cool things that crypto did for the world is it kind of shattered the identity of a cypherpunk into a million different pieces and allows all of us to become like some sort of cypherpunk. Um, and as we all know, also know cypherpunks are like zealots, right? Like they really believe in, in what they believe. Uh, and so when I, I see you like endlessly like writing articles, fighting FUD, um, talking about all the different aspects of the relevant aspects of Bitcoin to the rest of the world. So I kind of consider you to like a Bitcoin zealot, but it's all related. It's all the same community, right? We're all downstream of the cypherpunks. So that's kind of why I'll include you in the community, Ethereum community, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the same way, like, you know, sloths and, you know, armadillos are part of this, you know, same animal kingdom. Um, you know, we, we do, we share a common ancestor. Um, but you know, like, I think it might actually be a mistake just to say Bitcoin's of the soul heritage of the cypherpunks. Like there's a lot of cypherpunky stuff, which doesn't have to do with, you know, nothing to do with blockchains. Mm. Um, like Julian Assange was a classic cypherpunk. And I mean, you know, he was a Bitcoiner, I suppose still is a Bitcoiner, but, um, him, he, he was more about encryption and, you know, uh, revealing data and, um, you know, uh, passing data in a sort of a covert way. Like that's cypherpunky mm-hmm. for sure, but it's not like crypto. Um, and then, you know, actually I was reflecting on this recently. You have to think 
it's very important to remember the cypherpunks many of them well, so it was a heterogeneous group for a start mm-hmm. um they were interested in in sort of digital cash as in uh cash like instruments that were natively digital with david chom you know digicash type things and of course they had different opinions about it but um a lot of a lot of it was sort of dollar denominated mm-hmm. and the challenge was to to build uh the you know anonymous cash protocol and non anonymity was an incredibly important part of the cypherpunk doctrine and then bitcoin i would say is actually really really different from sort of establishment cypherpunk thought right because bitcoin has sort of reasonable pseudonymity you know not perfect um and uh it is a bearer instrument you know it kind of settles uh did you know digitally uh but it's not really that cash like in that it certainly doesn't uh, attempt to have a stable you know stable unit of account or anything so it's really really different from the chamium ideal right it's mm-hmm. not just an upgraded version of digicash or anything like that uh it's very much you know has these these ideas impregnated into it about monetary systems and that attracted a whole different breed of people right mm-hmm. so uh that that attracted you know like monetarists and um like gold bugs right so those are completely different concepts but i you know it it was so attractive to them that it sort of took flight mm-hmm. and then you know somewhere along the way we forgot okay what about fulfilling you know the vision of chom and people that wanted you know dollar stable uh digital bearer assets and some people uh have attempted to do this obviously with public blockchains but there's just not that much emphasis on that which i find interesting because if you look at the history of cypherpunk thought that was probably i would say the primary vision of digital cash would be something more resembling a stable coin right. i know you know that might be a controversial idea but you know just go back and and read read the discourse right i i would argue that um the emphasis on like a cash instrument an anonymous cash instrument was simply con- confined by the the um vehicles that these cypherpunks had at the time right like they couldn't even like imagine a non-state money because no one could imagine a non-state money at the time really really the thing that satoshi really invented was inventing the idea of non-state money and then that as you said like that idea is impregnated into bitcoin and then I, i but i would say that like cypherpunk values would be like aha we no longer like we, the, I would say that the desire for like digital cash, that value is uh, above the desire for self-sovereignty and self-independence. And I would say that monetary, uh, a monetary policy that's non-state, that's non-sovereign, it more subscribes to the whole values of being independent than they, than they would care about like a, a digital un- anonymous cash. Yeah, it's an interesting question, you know, because Bitcoin gives you independence in this whole other domain, right. which is monetary independence, you know, which is a very important thing, of course, um, having a non-discretionary monetary system. Um, but it's almost like that idea was so strong that it blotted out this other idea, which was let's, you know, build dollar stable instruments to transact private, privately online. Mm-hmm. which was kind of one of those prior ideas and um you know that's an idea which is important though because it's now a matter of public policy right right uh and and let's say there had been a huge emphasis solely on completely anonymous stable coins instead of uh, uh you know whatever synthetic monetary commodities like bitcoin um we might actually be in a better place with regards to the cbdc discourse right you know like i don't know what that counterfactual world looks like but um if we had hundreds of billions of uh super private uh whatever zk snarkified uh stable coins floating around that would still be a net win for freedom and and sovereignty for sure Mm -hmm. uh it's just that the main battle has actually been around the monetary discretion front um so I don't know. I'm some. I'm sort of a little bit wistful for for that other 
uh, that other outcome, which we didn't get. I mean, the, the private dollars. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know that seems like completely incrementalist, and it's like, well, Nick, like actually, we have a bigger like battle to fight, which is you know, destroying central banks or whatever. But private dollars are pretty important too. Yeah, I, I would like. Uh, I'll, I'll want to get your take on this. Is that like some maybe maybe I'm falling into a fallacy, but I kind of like the fallacy that I'm falling into. Is that like whatever crypto values we discover as like a, a community of crypto people retroactively we get to say that these are cypherpunk values like everything is downstream like whatever values we discover to be valuable is like oh yeah these are now cypherpunk values yes and um you know there aren't actually really that many true cypherpunks uh, floating around uh i don't i wouldn't say i'm one right i like don't use pgp for instance Mm -hmm. so or whatever the new version of pgp is so you know i don't i don't use signal enough even you know like i'm not even using uh, the best cryptographic tools we have. Um, so yeah, I I think a lot of people, you know, profess themselves to be cypherpunks in crypto land, but it's mostly a branding exercise. And, uh, a lot of the original cypherpunks just would completely denounce cryptocurrency at this point. (laughs) Uh, and a lot of them have, uh, so, you know, Huh, maybe maybe I shouldn't keep this like cypherpunk branding like and held in such high regards, but that's kind of like why I want to redefine it, right? Like, you know, that we can use it more expansively because it's such a generally such a positive term in this industry. And I mean, the cypherpunks was just such a small group of people, right. and so you know the culture just changed, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a more mainstream movement. So um, you know, the question is like, is that label still? Um, does it have semantic content is it a useful label mm. um or should we rebrand the movement and 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 call it something else yeah well one thing that crypto has done is it's put a public private key into the hands of of everyone that uses crypto and that is absolutely like a cypherpunk thing like now we all have private keys um and we can build on top of that and go from there so like cypher i don't think cypherpunks would at all argue that that's a that's not a cypherpunk thing that's true it it, uh it was the consumerification of public key cryptography in a way that vastly outstripped Mm -hmm. any of the i mean what i think the biggest public key infrastructure before cryptocurrency would have been pgp Uh, i can't think of anything else and that was at most uh, what a hundred thousand individuals, mm-hmm. and in terms of people that have used a uh, uh, as they say non custodial wallet, <laughs> An unhosted you know, wallet, like <laughs> unhosted wallet, yeah, uh, <laughs> according to the FATF or whatever, that's how many how many people do you think that is? Probably Millions. well over fifty million, I would say. Like yeah. probably probably two hundred fifty million people have sort of had exposure to the financial assets in some capacity, but most of that much of that would have been in a hosted right. manner uh on hosted i'm sure it's over 50 million i mean you know how many hardware wallets is ledger sold things right. like that right well i have at least four of them so there's that yeah. <laughs> and and metamask they have right. 10 million monthly actives now i think yep yep so, so one of uh one of your ch- changing gears here a little bit one of your articles was uh bitcoin at 12 where you um illustrated uh, Bitcoin as this like cathedral that many different individuals are helping build and they all know that they're not actually going to be able to see the ultimate like manifestation of this cathedral because it takes hundreds of years to build a cathedral um, and so it's still it's like dedication out of the values of the builders that actually creates these things regardless of whether they get to enjoy the fruits of their final projects so my question to you is how many hours a week do you work for Bitcoin uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, <laughs> probably zero. I don't, you know, I, I, nothing I do is sort of directly uh, accretive to Bitcoin, I think. Um, How can, I, oh, the, God, I fundamentally disagree with that. But maybe that's <laughs> just a different perspective as to what it means to work for Bitcoin. Does uh, does making content count? Yes. yes. <laughs> Peter McCormick works for Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I probably spend... Um, you know, five to 10 hours a week writing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, you know, does funding Bitcoin startups yes. count? I guess, yes. I suppose. Yes. Uh, that, that's Everything very, counts. Everything that's very counts. lumpy. Some some months I don't, and then, you know, some other months I'll do three. So, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, like, 
I can't say I'm a full timer on Bitcoin, uh, but I'll, I'll give it at least 10 to 15 hours a week, probably. I, so. I kind of more or less think that everything you do in your professional life is like working for Bitcoin. Unless I'm missing, I have no idea what it's like to be Nick Carter in the professional life. But like, I, th I think like every single podcast that I make and every single article I write is like me working for Ethereum. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think I'm maybe more broad in my focus. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of my time is on stuff like CoinMetrics, which d does like, I don't know, 50 blockchains or something. So um some of it is more broad and you know like when well, like civ castle island will fund startups that are just like financial infrastructure for the space at large whether it's stable coins or mm -hmm. or you know cryptocurrency so um i wouldn't say it's confined to bitcoin but it, yeah it's, it, in theory it's all sort of generally useful for bitcoin in some some capacity when you were when the the whole bitcoin energy like fud part of the recent history of crypto was going around. I think you were putting out something like how many articles like a week? Like how, what like take us through like that whole phase of your life. Well, that was weird because the FUD somehow reached a crescendo for some reason. I guess it was probably Elon, the Elon mm. effect. But it, it was like I'd, I like some, somehow serendipitously or or unluckily uh, ended up being situated in, in the middle of it because people, I, I, I guess I sort of like appointed myself like one of the one of the main like uh, debaters sentinels of Bitcoin sentinels yeah and it, I mean I'm sort of glad it's over <laughs> because it was a lot um, like you know I was like talking to the press like every other day um, and it, it just it wasn't really sustainable I couldn't like do my job Right. Um, at the time and, and so for the last like two months I've just been saying no to all press inquiries and all podcasts uh, with, with the exception of yours and Cheers. actually <laughs> I did pomps as well because you know he's my neighbor now um, oh really I didn't know he's yeah, in Miami yeah 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 his studio is here hmm. uh, it's great so you know people I'm friends with I'll like still you know do the content but basically I'm sort of like a little burned out from all that stuff um, although I will say there is one final thing that I've done on the energy question, which is actually more of a paper and, uh, that I think will be really useful for a lot of people, um, should be out this month. So stay tuned for that. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know how, how many like videos and pieces of content, things I, I did is like an uncountable amount. Do you, do you like it, enjoy the limelight of being like a Bitcoin spokesperson? Is that, is that like something that's fun for you? Um, it felt more like an obligation than anything. I think, uh, of course it's fun. Like when your star is rising, you know, I'm sure, you know, you, you felt the same, but, uh, it just becomes a grind eventually. And, you know, at the end of the day, like there's only so many hours in the week and, the more time you spend being some sort of like unofficial Bitcoin spokesperson, the less time you can spend on real work, um, whether it's writing or, you know, like funding startups or anything like that. Do you think like so, sometimes I kind of think these like um, these protocols will lead themselves into the, their own future and obviously these are all these this podcast is called layer zero so it's all about like the people that help these things like direct themselves but there's also these are decentralized networks so many different people are building the cathedral in their own specific way like to some degree like what can one person do do you kind of think that like if nick carter didn't exist that bitcoin would more or less be in the same spot or do you do you actually see what you do actually moving the needle for bitcoin i think bitcoin would be absolutely fine without me <laughs> yeah. So why do it, it was, at all then? It was fine before me I, because I find it interesting. You know? <laughs> I think, you know, occasionally I have sort of maybe good points to make. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think it would be completely fine without me. In fact, you know, I haven't done that much publicly in the last uh, month or two. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, everything, you know, the blocks kept arriving. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I've noticed that, you know, um, you know, certain talking points that might have originated with me like other people just glom on to them and they get a life of their own they don't need me you mm -hmm. know and you know bitcoin content like it's there's an incredibly vibrant ecosystem out there um which you know like people will 
they'll respond to the FOD or they'll, you know, like write interesting things and original ideas. Like there's no need for me whatsoever. It's a very Bitcoiner answer. It's like Bitcoin absolutely does not need me. Um, and I, th- and I think maybe it's, it's kind of interesting in, in the Ethereum world, we definitely fundamentally accept like the layer zero of Ethereum as in like Ethereum is, is it's code until it's people. And then like, like you said, uh, before we hit recording, like Hazu says, like, it's, it's always the social layer. That is the final, the, the buck stops at the social layer, but Bitcoiners, I don't think want to have uh, that same sort of illustration for Bitcoin. They want it to stop at the code and, and the code be the thing that propels Bitcoin into the future. And no, Bitcoin doesn't need anyone. Um, do, you, do you agree with that, that perception? Th- that certainly is the view, probably the establishment view in Bitcoin. But I would say Bitcoin also has what I call value primacy. So effectively values that supersede uh, the code, especially in a time of crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even Bitcoin, uh, the code is merely an encoding of the values, but the values are supreme, mm-hmm. especially when there's a conflict between the values and the code, right? So, you know, with the overflow bug, you know, there aren't 184 billion Bitcoins or 192 billion, whatever it was, mm-hmm. there's 21 million. So we're going to revert the code and we're going to sort of engineer a fix to that. So I don't know what the next instance is going to be where there's a conflict between the the implied specification, we don't have one exactly, but uh, between the sort of uh, constitution and then the actual, uh, you know, enforcement uh, of that. But um, Bitcoin also has the social layer. Just it's convenient for people to pretend that it doesn't. The the way I've described Bitcoin social layer is that uh, the social contract of Bitcoin is to not have one, which implies that there's still a social contract. But like it's still also at the same time diminishes its own role by like it's like a, it's almost like a snake consuming its own tail. It can get almost all the way there, but it doesn't fully be able to like consume itself. That's kind of well, my take on the, the social contract. I mean, it's not just a Bitcoin question. It's any monetary system like this is a question that um, like monetary theorists have puzzled over for decades and decades, really just forever. I would say it's like, how do you as long as you have uh, money, how do you build a monetary system in which the people in control uh, can't tinker with it excessively or, you know, like can't, um, you know, can't change the parameters, uh, especially to benefit themselves. And that's why you, you know, throughout history had these movements to get on the gold standard because the gold standard is sort of this, you know, at that point you're beholden to sort of natural law as opposed to the law of man. Right. So that's the whole point is that you 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 know you you bind yourself to the mast you sort of voluntarily tie your hands and you say okay i'm gonna actually give up power here mm-hmm. um and but but that takes like active management right? that takes like an ongoing commitment mm-hmm. to the surrendering of power mm-hmm. um and of course like the history of the gold standard is a history of uh governments saying, well, you know, actually it would be really convenient if we could get off the gold standard for a little bit. The, the most interesting thing to me is that in, you know, historically the norm was after departure from the gold standard, people would advocate to go back on it. Uh, and so you'd have this recognition like, okay, well, you know, we had this like temporary aberration, we went off it, but let's, you know, surrender control once again. Uh, and you just had these cycles, you know, on, off, on, off. And uh, so that's just the same thing that's happening with Bitcoin, but you have to have this ongoing vigilance mm-hmm. and this commitment to not changing anything. So you do need that sort of continual pressure. Uh, and I sort of worry about what happens if we get extremely complacent and say, well, the code is supreme, whatever. What happens if a decade passes and people are like, huh, like, why did we uh, submit to this like particular parameter in the code again, and we just kind of forget about that. Uh, so I do think, you know, it does need a, a measure of sort of like active vigilance and sort of participation. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation thus far. We are about to get into the comparing and contrasting of religion and Bitcoin and that, that whole religious conversation as it relates to our crypto industry. That's what's coming up next. But before we get there, we have to talk for a moment about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. 
When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you are getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commissions. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy-to-use platform. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on-chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp so you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. So that's that's super interesting, this active vigilance thing. And like, I, I've, I don't know if this is true, and, and you'll, you'll probably be more familiar with this or not, but like the Bitcoin uh, community generally, I think, is a little bit more faith-based than the rest of the, the crypto world. As, and I'm actually talking about like straight up religion here. And like when you say like active vigilance, it kind of reminds me of just like the the part of like religion, organized religion, where like it was your duty to wake up in the morning and like remember your faith to God, right? Like you you wake up and before the Renaissance, right? Like before it was all about the individual. It's like you were supposed to wake up and remember that you are subject to God and you need to remember to keep your faith, right? And so like Bitcoiners and they're very, very strong like social dynamics are always uh, like, you know, we all need to wake up and remember that the 21 million hard cap is, is, uh, uh, mo is, is most holy and we all need to remember that. <laughs> well, you know, there's a reason that uh, uh, I think Islam means uh, submission in Arabic, mm. if I'm, if I'm not, not mistaken. That. I know that. Uh, so, you know, religion is all about submission, of course, right? Mm. Like you, uh, you accept that you are, you know, uh, infinitesimally small and, and you know unimportant relative to the the highest power um and it, you know in christianity you're submitting to like a you know very specific set of beliefs uh it's the same thing you know in i don't want to you know push you the religion analogy too far but um because i find it sacrilegious <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but um yeah like bitcoin is all about submitting to a specific monetary schedule like you have to submit <laughs> you can't push it you can't change it and even if you know you're the most important developer you probably can't really even tweak it even a little bit uh and and there's like a, a you know there's a sublimity in submission i think um if if you know if you actually can accommodate it mm -hmm. uh, but if if you can't then bitcoin's not for you you know do, uh, was I right in my, would you, would you agree with me when I said that like the Bitcoin community gen generally is a little bit uh, more faith-based than the rest of, of the crypto industry? As in like actually but, like they believe in more God, religious? right? Like, yeah, may maybe they, they tend to go to church on Sundays more than the rest of the, of the industry. Uh, yeah, I think that, I think so. I think so. Why yeah. do you think that I is? Um, because Bitcoin is more conservative in its sort of uh, core value, 
Um, you, you have these clustered um, values, you know, um, it's like, I don't know what the right term is, but there's this, there's this sort of thing about society where if you know one belief of uh, a person, right. yeah. you can predict the next 15 beliefs, right? Even if those um, beliefs are completely unrelated to each other. Yeah, completely heterogeneous. Yeah, like, um, for instance, like one's uh, opinion of like sunscreen or like seed oils or, mm -hmm. you know, eating meat or <laughs> like, those are like very like, you know, kind of like meme, mm -hmm. meme things. But um, so like and the reason they all map is because those values are all expression of some sort of like deep underlying, mm -hmm. you know, set of beliefs. Like, am I fundamentally... Uh, you know, like a conservative, like not in like the political sense, but you know, like, mm -hmm. do I fundamentally believe in like hierarchy and stability and like keeping right. things the same, or do I believe in progress and shaking things up and you know, etc. And so, um, Bitcoin is not big C conservative, but I'd say it's little C conservative in that, um, it, uh, you know, I view it as an attempt to restore um, the the you know the the not the not the you know the form of a gold standard not the features of a gold standard but uh the environment that the gold standard mm -hmm. you know facilitated uh and mm. so that's why i call it um you know it's a paradox because it's like technologically progressive but right. uh in some senses you could say it's maybe not regressive but like uh an attempt to reclaim something that has been lost right so some people call it revanchist like you're reclaiming lost territory Right. Uh, and so, the, you know, that's the paradox of Bitcoin. Right. It's technologically forward, but it, it restores more ancient values. That's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. Uh, so we'll that's, see. That's crazy. That's a crazy <laughs> concept. I know. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, if you don't mind me asking, do you go to church? Um, n not currently, but I am religious for sure. Yeah. I, I also just moved here, so I need to locate. A good one. Ah, as, I've, as someone who's literally never been to church other than like touring, like how do you how do you choose a church? Like how do you? Because like it feels like if we want to map this onto the crypto world, it like you it's like you picking a tribe, right? The crypto world is easy to pick a tribe. You generally fall right into one. Um, how does it work in in like religion? Well, you're born into it, you know, so you don't uh, you don't typically like you oh, know. I guess, I guess yeah, right. <laughs> You don't like lay out a map of all the schisms in Christianity. You're like, okay, well, you know, I believe in uh, predestination, but like, you know, like these are the gospels that, I, you know, you don't uh, pick and choose that way. <laughs> do you do you have a, what's your specific denomination? Um, well, I was baptized into the Anglican church uh, in England. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in the U.S., uh, that would map onto the Episcopalian church. So... Uh, Amin Soleimani, who's one of like my own like personal heroes in this space, uh, coined this term "money god," um, and it's simply uh, you know something that uses control theory or has automated away all of the governance functionalities. And so, like uh, on Ethereum, we, these would be in the application layer, um, but Bitcoin is itself one instantiation of this, right? Where like we've created Bitcoin, we've cast it away into existence, and now it controls us, right? Like it's autonomous uh, and we can't control it, but it determines our lives, right? Like it has a monetary policy, a, su a supply schedule, and it imposes those values upon its its users, right? It's subservients. Uh, yes. and, and so like, <laughs> do you serve two gods? <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, this actually came up in a debate I had with Francis Coppola, um, the, the infamous no coiner, mm -hmm. because she said as a Christian, she rejects Bitcoin because it's, you know, this doctrine of absolutism, but only, only God himself, only providence, uh, is absolute. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was just kind of baffled by, <laughs> by this, but, uh, but maybe maybe there's something to that. Um, I mean, you know, like I, I see Bitcoin as a human institution. It's just we're trying mm. to do something inhuman. We're trying to create um, an institution that uh, supersedes our sort of base human desires. So in, the, mm -hmm. in that sense, you know, there's there's a, a similarity. Uh, but it's it's not divine. I mean, it right. may 
in, you know, in my view, sort of it inspires feelings of uh, sublimity and, you know, something truly awesome in sort of the Baroque meaning of the, of the word mm-hmm. awesome, you know, awe-inspiring. Grand, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so you, might, you might go as far as to say it's sort of, wow, it's incredible that, uh, you know, such a creation exists. Like, you, this is evidence, you know, of, of you know, of, of something greater than humans. Like, it certainly inspires those kinds of feelings, I'd say, to a lot of people. But, um, you know, it's fundamentally a human creation, I, I right. believe. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I believe that Satoshi was a human. Who knows? <laughs> the... I think you can take this even further, right? Because like some of the properties that are are discovered in, in good blockchains that are actually like alive ecosystems, like Bitcoin, and I basically only other included Ethereum, is that like well, they're they're uh, omniscient. They know everything because all of the state that is held in Bitcoin, and so Bitcoin remembers all. They're omnipotent in the fact that like you must comply with the rules of Bitcoin. Um, there's a few more omni words that if I had, like, if I could think of them, I would, I would, but like it, it, these, the properties of these things do approach some of like the words that we use to describe like actual God. I think at the same part of your brain probably lights up when you yeah, think about it. Probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, we might be torturing the analogy a little bit at this uh-huh. point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bitcoin doesn't make any metaphysical claims. Sure. As far as I know, as right. far as I know, but um, you know, th- like th- there's a great degree of mystery and uh, and uh, y- y- like intrigue in, mm-hmm. in the origins of Bitcoin, which I've always held up as a strength. You know, I think it'd be it would be tedious and boring if we knew, uh, you know, what the origin was. I, I hope we never find out. Uh, well, if, if we want to hop onto different subjects, let me know. But I'm going to keep going on this for for, for one last little bit. Um, and so, like, there's the claim that, like, uh, the story of, like, the Christian God or the Catholic God or even all, all religion, more or less, it's, like, in the same thing as this, this Layer Zero podcast, it's people all the way down. And so, like, the Bible was written by humans and was composed by humans to tell a story of, like, a holy figure. And, and uh, as somebody who didn't grow up with, with religion, but then discovered it, uh, discovered how to appreciate it much later in my life, like to me, the Bible is just a story of, uh, it's a collection of fables of stories as to how to live like a good life and have good values. But the, all these stories were composed by people, right? In the same way that like, you know, the Bitcoin is a, is a system of human that instantiate human values and same thing with ethereum like it can be argued that like you know the way that we discovered religion is that like we discovered all these things that are fundamentally capital capital g good and then we created like a network around them and so like these these conclusions <laughs> while we we are definitely like mutilating this metaphor like it ke- also keeps on going yeah well there's there's like two i guess there's like the secular description the charitable secular description of the bible which is it's sort of a set of heuristics that we mm-hmm. learned over thousands of years and uh incorporated into stories and then you know it's it's guidance of how to live uh and then there's you know i would say the religious version which is it's genuinely the received word of god right um so i, I guess if you use that first definition mm-hmm. um the metaphor the analogy probably makes a bit more sense uh, although the rules encoded in blockchains are very simple, I would say it's like you have to right. craft transactions this way right. for them to be valid, and and blockchain doesn't care about anything else. Right. So it's really just well, I suppose there's other rules relating to monetary policy and things like that. Right, and that that does feel like how the 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 21st century version of religions is like, oh, now we've actually removed the subjectivity from a religion, and now we actually have objective properties about these things if we want to consider Bitcoin and Ethereum a religion, which I kind of do. I don't know. I, I haven't decided. I'm mixed. I'm mixed on the on the merits of that. I mean, uh, religion's not very popular these days in the US. Like Zoomers are right. mostly agnostic or atheists. But also it also uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or crypto doesn't fit into the old categorization of categorizations of religion. It's like very much like a neo religion in the same way like Bitcoin and Ethereum are like neo nation states. Yeah, I mean, I think my preferred analogy would be a political one. So the nation state one, which you've done uh, a number of times, um, people feel uh, a religious zeal, perhaps, towards their uh, 
nation state or their tribe or their ethnos you know uh that we see for sure i mean people that's probably the primary cause of people living and dying and fighting and you know becoming soldiers and going to war and things like that um so again though you know blockchains are not complete in in the sense that a nation is you know they don't but you know i think that's probably my preferred analogy like i can certainly see that you know there's you know 100 million or so people worldwide that kind of subscribe to bitcoin nation uh i like balaji's uh conception i think you know the the crypto capital versus the whatever the woke capital versus communist capital i think that's really really apt Mm -hmm. yeah that's funny i actually just read that like for the first time like last night so good timing good timing for that I would say that the reason why I frequently use like the nation state to like analyze Ethereum is like what it is. I, whenever I do that, like I also go backwards and say, well, the nation state is just like the next iteration of religion. Well, the nation state now is sort of becoming obsolete too, I would argue. I mean, like if you just look at the crypto community, like you have people that have much, much more in common um, with each other, even though they, you know, are, it's a global audience fundamentally uh than they have with their sort of fellow countrymen Mm -hmm. uh and and that doesn't just happen on you know along the line and i think that's like the truest definition of the metaverse uh, (laughs) which is you know a congregation of people that are uh gathering in a certain venue uh where that new digital typically identity supersedes Mm -hmm. the old identities that they sort of had Mm-hmm. Um, or subscribe to and it and, and that could be crypto it could be like trading jpegs back and forth and discords or it could be whatever like um roblox i'm not even sure what roblox is but i'm just gonna say it because i, I think kids like it mm-hmm. um or you know fortnite or whatever so like if you were to poll 100 zoomers and say what's your primary affiliation i think they wouldn't say like american necessarily or like a good chunk of them would say something else right yeah i mean that's always the that's been the early promises of the internet right is like pull all like-minded people regardless of their physical locations in the world in the world and regardless of where they are really in relationship to borders and allow them to meet on the internet and group together according to like alike values and like interests and it also just so happens we have this new crypto crypto thing that is instantiating sp- uh, specific values upon di- like internet digital objects that we can all like rally behind well the crypto affiliation is the strongest because it's deeply tribal Mm-hmm. The stakes are enormously real. Mm-hmm. It's financial in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very grown-up game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also, you know, very fun and, and you know, youthful and, you know, and like, you know, gamified. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the stakes are incredibly real. So when you manage to not do work and, and including the work that you do for Bitcoin and the work that you don't do for Bitcoin, whatever you call work, what happens, what happens after you do work? What happens when it's playtime? What do you do? Um, so I, I try and carve out, I would say, one week in a month to like go climb a large pile of rocks. Mm. Um, Is this hiking yeah, or rock climbing? Um, like mountaineering, okay. I would say, which which includes some technical mm. uh, climbing, but typically you're just hiking uphill. Um, and I like that because it's an excuse to turn off my phone mm. for two to three days. Not that I don't have service. Typically, unfortunately, you know, it's like hard to get lost anymore. You, it's like all, all these mountains, you, like you think they wouldn't have service, but they do. Mm. And it kind of like takes the joy out of it <laughs> a little bit. But um, yeah, I like it because it's an excuse to just turn off my phone uh, and, you know, suffer basically. I mean, that's right. what mountaineering is. It's suffering right. at altitude. Um, and so I, I attempt to do that once a month, but I can't always. But yeah, how are you going to do that in Miami? There's not many mountains around you. No, I have to fly. Typically, I would, I would fly out west and do it. Okay. Oh, sure. Uh, you, you come out west to, to go to go hiking? Yeah, I was. Uh, where are you now? You, you said you're in Southern California? I'm in San Diego, yeah. Oh, I was like in your neck of the woods a few weeks ago. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So next time I'll let you up. But, you know, back when I lived in the Northeast, the mountains are, were there, but they were all small. Right. Uh, the best ones are obviously out west. Uh, like where would you go? Cascades, Rockies. 
I was most recently in the High Sierra. Okay. Um, and before that, uh, I did Shasta up in Northern California. Yep. So yep. we're going yep. to try some harder ones soon. Glaciers. Yeah. If you ever, if you ever, yeah, anywhere, anywhere on the, on the West coast, if you ever go mountaineering, like I'm just within, I want to come. Okay. What, what do I need to know one. that that's not just because I'm, I'm, I've done an, an insane amount of like actual backpacking trips where I put a tent in my backpack, but like, what do I, what am I not prepared for if it's mountaineering? So that's the essential skill is just being able to, you know, walk with a 40, 50 pound pack. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if it's, there's snow involved, you have to know how to use crampons and yeah. fix them to your uh, boots. Yeah, that's um, you, like learning to self arrest with an ice axe is yeah. pretty essential. That's easy enough to learn. And then glacier travel um, on a short rope um, and, uh, you know, crevasse rescue. That would be like the next skill right. to learn. But if somebody, um, if somebody in my troop knows how to do it, do I know how to need to know how to do it? Yeah, you should know. Yeah, because you might have to save them, right? (laughs) Um, And then, like, anything to do with cold weather, just, like, gear management, cold Mm -hmm. weather, camping. um, If you've done that, you'd be good. Okay. I mean, there aren't that many mountains in the lower 48 that are really going to imperil you. Yeah, this is is right up my alley. I'm a big fan of the concept of suffering. I think pain is how you you improve yourself. Um, So it's it's funny that you brought that up. I have a good friend that he divides fun into like three typologies. Have you heard of this? Like type one fun, type two fun. It's like type one fun is just like straight pure hedonic fun. You know, like, I don't know, like doing coke dr- or drugs, partying or something. Drugs for dopamine. Type two fun is like, you know, it's like actually kind of challenging in the moment. You might not seem that fun, but afterwards you're sort of glad you did it. Endorphins. Type yeah you know maybe like you know running a 10k or something and then type 3 fun is just miserable in the moment uh feels terrible and then i suppose upon reflection you might be like oh maybe i want to do that again that's where i'd put most mountaineering experiences nice yeah maybe meditation as well because whenever i try and meditate like i fucking hate it and then i can't do it at the end i'm like oh i guess that was okay I'm like the worst tech bro ever. I can't meditate. Yeah. I don't know. Can't do it. Have you? Okay. So here's something I've noticed ever since, especially it started happening before crypto, but as soon as it's, as soon as I got into crypto, it got even worse. It's just like my memory is absolutely shot. And I think it's just because I have so many devices around me that I just use to outsource all my memory functions. And so like as a muscle, the atrophy is just endless. Have you noticed anything like this? That's an interesting concept. So as you have more external storage available to you, Mm -hmm. you just externalize more and more. Right. And then eventually your brain just becomes an index of how to find things. (laughs) 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 So we've effectively become uh, sort of like cyborgs a little bit. We've we've uploaded part of our, I mean, I guess that's true. Like you, Mm -hmm. you've uploaded part of your, you outsource Mm -hmm. some of your consciousness I mean, like, that's kind of like, you know, we don't remember maps of cities anymore because we have GPS. Right. And we don't remember, like, trivia or, like, facts Uh about the presidents because you have Google. Right. Exactly. Uh, So I do worry about that, actually. Uh, Yeah, certainly, like, honestly, I think, mentally speaking, I'm at my worst. Like, I've been on a steady decline since high school. Like, Mm -hmm. I think high school me would have just, like blown me out of the water when it comes to, like, any... Mental sharpness. Actual test. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody feels like that. I don't know. I, yeah. don't, I don't think it can be reversed. I de- yeah, I definitely remember being more mentally sharp, but I'm definitely also much more wise than I ever was. So like, there we go. There, there, there is the trade off there. Like mental acuity, maybe, maybe it's not there, but like wisdom is wisdom levels are off the charts. Hopefully, that, that's the trade. That's yeah. the trade we all make. Yeah. Okay, but you, so so it's the weekend, but you're not. We can't go mountaineering. So what are you doing in Miami this weekend? I'm still trying to figure, like, trying to get settled here. There's like a lot of like yeah, more generally stuff more generally. to do. Um, I would. I'm actually not a big beach person, um, but I would try and do something outdoorsy. Probably if I had a spare weekend. I mean, like, the truth is that I reserve my weekends often for riding um, mm-hmm. because I can't get it done. Sure. Uh, I can't get into like a deep work uh like uh, you know non actual work work uh phase during the week so that's when i do probably 70 percent of all my riding would be on Mm. like a saturday or sunday morning um but yeah relax go to the gym uh like go to the sauna 
um, write, you know, like go out to eat, like, you know, really boring stuff, but um, stuff I can't do during the week as much. Sure. Do you, okay. Do you actually like Coors Light or is it just a meme? I actually quit drinking. So, um, okay. (laughs) If I, if I were to drink, I would drink Coors Light, but I'm much more focused on, on, uh, sort of being healthy these days. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> I have when I the way that I get through writing is I just brute force brute force the writing by ingesting beer so we are on opposite end of the spectrum there yeah I used to do that I mean when I was an undergrad uh mm-hmm. I, that's how I wrote most of my philosophy papers uh you know like uh write drunk at it sober mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but uh yeah the, I don't know these days like you have to try and get yourself into the flow state mm-hmm. somehow um and so these days I don't try and rush it I mean I'm not you know, I'm not on a contract. I don't have to write right. every weekend or whatever. So I just now I just kind of wait uh, for inspiration, I suppose. So as as uh, 2021 is coming to a close with the last quarter remaining here, like what do you what do you what do you see on the horizon for our industry and for Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin is just becoming much more sort of predictable and like widely understood. Um, you know things like Cuba passing a Bitcoin law, like that's probably honestly not net good for regular Cubans or Cuban Bitcoiners, but it just cements the notion of Bitcoin as sort of this, you know, like not that interesting um, monetary alternative, and that's I would say good for Bitcoin overall. Like Bitcoin, like gold, gold is extremely boring, but it's worth eleven trillion dollars. Bitcoin is just going to grow up and. Uh, we're going to look back at these days with nostalgia and be like, wow, that was like such an exciting time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we should be grateful to be living through it, frankly. Um, but, you know, the future of Bitcoin is just going to be this onward march towards respectability. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it just won't be as exciting in 10 years time. Um, in the near term, you know, I've always kind of been more on the conservative side in terms of um you know, being uh, wary of uh, financial regulators. Um, at this point, I think they've signaled to us um, that they're going to try something, um, mm-hmm. whether it's Treasury, whether it's SEC, whether it's some other agency. Um, there's no doubt in my mind now that there's some reprisal coming uh, from the state. Um, I think we can survive it. Uh, I think it's likely to be healthy. But I think it's also going to be extremely painful. Um, and so I don't know what form it's going to take, whether they're going to target exchanges, smart contract developers, um, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, funds. Uh, it's not clear to me yet, but it is clear that there's sort of a lot of political capital behind this uh, anti-crypto movement. And now, of course, you know, we're looking at a time of, um, you know, like relatively rare um, unity at the state level. Um, you have the president, uh, both houses of Congress are blue. Um, that may not be the case in sort of a year's time after the midterms. Mm-hmm. So this might actually be sort of like their shot to you know do something extremely harsh. Um, maybe in a year or two, like we'll be in better stead in Washington. Um, but yeah, I, the, the, you know, the crypto industry is like what 60% America based. It's like very exposed to what happens in the U S. Uh, and so I think it could be like a really, really, really tough 18 months. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would steal yourself for that, but that doesn't mean that, you know, what we're building is invalid or isn't going to work. Um, it's just, we might have to, you know, reimagine what it's like to build these, you know, uncensorable protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, critically examine some of the, you know, the, the choke points, which is, is you know, what they're going to go after. They'll go after things that give them strategic leverage, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's stable coins, exchanges, uh, whatever. Uh, and so, you know, it'll be a process of also, I think, learning about what, what those exposures are and, and, and maybe we'll, we'll sort of think twice about um, having uh, stable coin based liquidity for everything. Uh, you know, something like that. What do you think is at more risk, Bitcoin or DeFi? Uh, I think like 
Bitcoin will like suffer collateral damage uh, just by association. Um, I think like lightning operators would be probably, you know, lumped in with DeFi. So you know, like if something adverse happens to like DeFi, um, it would suffer in that respect. Uh, it seems to me that DeFi, like DEXs, would be like a primary target, at least just looking, reading through the lines, like looking at what Gensler's had to say. Um, you know, some of the tone I'm seeing from people that are actually talking to, you know, these officials, it seems to be pretty, pretty down in the dumps, as far as I can tell from my position. I don't really have, um, you know, any privileged information whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it seems like a lot of it would be targeted either at the, like um brokerage industry or DeFi directly mm -hmm. who's your favorite music artist um all time i'm a huge beatles fan <laughs> uh i love pink floyd as well um the eagles uh, um led zeppelin um more contemporary like tim and paula and uh i'm a big kanye fan as well he had a good yeah. new album yeah oh that's i I've, the other uh more frequent take i've heard is that the album's not that good i haven't listened to i it liked yet. it i've been listening to it um you know it's very like very you know christian in na in nature um which mm -hmm. i like you know it's like kanye's work has been sort of like it's always like had some like gospel elements but it's like unabashedly right uh, religious now, which, you know, like I, I like, cool. <laughs> but, but yeah, I actually think there's like some good tracks on there too. I'll have to give it a listen. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on layer zero and, uh, let me pick your brain. Thanks, David. Maybe you can, uh, come on, on the brink. We'll oh, get you on there. I've always wanted to, to be honest. So but. that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been great, man. All right. Cheers. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.